It's an honor for me to welcome you to share from God's Word today. Church family, why don't you give Brother Brian Harrington a round of applause. Thank you, brother. Hey, well, good morning. Oh, Lord. Uh, let's try that again. Good morning. I just want to make sure you're here. And uh, hey, I'm honored and humbled to be here. Uh, Deke uh, is very kind and gracious, but I don't take any credit for uh, how God has used him and blessed him. His family, Brian and Laura Dubberly, were over here were part of our church family until they rebelled against God and moved to Douglas, Georgia. And uh, they were, you know, you always have, when you're a pastor, you always have members that, uh, that you lie about when they say they're moving away. You're like, you know, down deep you're saying, thank God, and outwardly you're saying, hate to see you go, uh, but you're really saying, thank you, Jesus. You know, uh, they were not one of those families. They were a family that we, we hated to see uh, leave our church, and so, so great to see them and connect with you. Turn in your Bibles or on your device, uh, whichever you may choose to use, to uh, the book of Acts chapter 13 verses 1 down through verse 5. I have uh, some connection with your church. Uh, one of my best friends in the world uh, pastored here for a number of years, Rick Baldwin. And uh, in fact, last night I, um, I, I had went to bed after, after the game and uh, and went to bed. Uh, probably had a lot to pray and repent over after watching that game. But I went to bed and and I'm almost sound asleep. And my my uh, text message goes off, and I'm like, "Dear God, who's texting me this time of night?" And I and I get up and I look at it, and it, it, it's my friend Rick Bowen, and he says, "The dogs, the dogs." And so uh, so he he so I do feel a connection with you guys and all that God has done. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, our, our world changed as we know it. And, and a lot of people did not sense it, I think, in some ways. Some became very political, very angry. Others began to accuse everything from the church to the government of making good or bad decisions, depending on where you stand at with issues, and, uh, but our world went through a traumatic change during COVID, and uh, racial tension was its highest, political tension was its highest, and coming out of COVID, when we went back to in-person worship, I remember on, a, on the first, first or second, third Sunday back, a guy came up to me and he said, you know, this is the end. This is the worst. Our best days are behind us. And I said, what do you mean? He says, as a nation, uh, as the church, our best days are behind us. And I said, he said, don't you agree? And I said, I totally disagree. I said, maybe God is getting us that as the church, the body of Jesus Christ, that we begin to look more like the book of Acts than we've ever looked in our history. I said, because we're coming back with less people, uh, less Bible studies, uh, some things were shut down to never be started up again. I said, and just maybe, God wants us to look more like the book of Acts. I, I wanna talk for just a few minutes, and, and I, uh, I promise by the grace of God I, I won't be long. 
and but you got food here, so you're you're good. And so, uh, but but I want to talk today about the upward, onward, the upward outward onward church. That's the church in the book of Acts. It is a church that was always upward looking to God. It was a church that was always outward. How do we reach the world? And it was a church that was always onward. In spite of persecution, in spite of everything that was thrown at them, they were saying, we're going to be upward, we're going to depend on God, we're going to be outward, the community around us, and we're going to move onward with God. When you get to the book of Acts, chapter 13, a major transition pivot begins to take place. For example, in in chapter 1 through chapter 12, the church was largely Jewish, and now it becomes Gentile and Jewish. From chapter 1 through chapter 12, Peter was like uh, God's crown leader of the church, and it shifts from Peter to Paul, who at that time was called Saul. And then another big shift took place. The church primarily was anchored in Jerusalem. Persecution drove them out, like Jesus said. And they shifted from Jerusalem to a church that is planted in Antioch. So that when your life, when your life and your church and your world goes through a major pivot, it does not mean that Jesus is getting ready to step out of the cloud. He may. But it doesn't mean that he's getting ready to come. It may mean that God is getting ready to do something uniquely wonderful and different than we have ever imagined before. And so in this passage, the shift begins to take place. Got your Bibles open on your device. Here's what it says. Now there were in the church at Antioch, Man, this was going to become a a major church that would be a great missionary-sending church. Prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul would become, in this very chapter, known as Paul, And verse two goes on to say, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them And and the Bible goes on to say, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, the first missionary journey, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they... And they had John, and they had John, John Mark, who would write the Gospel of Mark to assist them. What we see here is God doing something uniquely different. And maybe, just maybe, in your church as you celebrate 74 years, going on 75, just maybe God 
is wanting to do something uniquely different than he has never done before. And I want to look at these verses today, and I want to ask God to challenge our heart about being that upward, outward, and onward church. Now, now here's the problem with most of us as believers and as churches. It's not just you, it's not, not just your church, it's every church, it's every Christian. Our tendency is, we'll agree, I'll be upward, but we turn, we tend to turn inward, and when we turn inward, we don't turn onward, we turn downward. In, in my role with Family Church, I preach in a lot of different churches and a lot of different places, and a lot of different churches and a lot of different places are dying. They love Jesus, they love each other, they have a sweet spirit. They're very kind. They're very gracious. But instead of turning outward to the community around them, they have turned inward. How do we meet each other's needs? You know, how do we have the best softball team or soccer team? Or how do we do this or how do we do that? And they curse the darkness that is around them. My world, my neighborhood is not what it used to be. And, and I don't like that. That's never the way God has called the church to be. God's called the church to be upward, to be outward. How can we bless the community around us and to be onward? How do we move forward by the grace of God? So let me just very, very quickly, and if you'll follow with me today, let's look in these, these verses here in, in Acts 13, the first few verses about what does a upward, outward, onward church look like? Well, first of all, it is the gathered church. Look with me in verse one. Now, there were in the church at Antioch. They were the gathered church, just like you gather together here today. Man, I remember whenever we uh, we shut down with uh, COVID and went online and and uh, probably many of you did that as well in your church. I really felt like we stayed shut down too long, but that's just my opinion. And, but anyway, so I remember those days that we were doing that. And then when we came back, how great it felt to be gathered together again, to worship together, to sing together, to fellowship together. But I want to say to you today that gathering together does not make us a church. Uh, notice with me some elements that about how they gathered together. Look at verse two. When they gathered together, they worshiped the Lord. He says, while they were worshiping the Lord, as they gathered in that place, they were worshiping their Lord God, their Savior, Jesus Christ, our sovereign triune God. I love what Francis Chan says. Francis Chan said that he had a random church member one day that came up to him and said, I did not like the worship service that much today. And he said, well, that's great because we weren't worshiping you. Well, you know, a lot of times it seems as though in the church we think it's all about me when it's really all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. And so what makes us different is we gather together from the JWs down the road or the Mormons down the road or any other religious group is that we gather together to worship the name of the Lord our God. 
Know something else about their, their, their gathering together. They worship the Lord. They fasted. Now, someone may say, well, man, we're getting ready to go eat some food. Why don't you talk about fasting today? Really, fasting is simply this principle, denying self to allow God to work. The church that is the upward, onward, outward church is the church that is not about me. It's not about my desires and my wants and my feelings. It is about me denying myself that the work of God may prevail and souls may be saved. And then I know something else about their gathering together. They heard from the Lord. They, they gathered together and the Spirit of God was able to speak to them. God was able to challenge them uh, God did miracles in their in their midst in that church. Whenever I went to South Florida, God dealt with my wife and I, and and uh, and we left in 1994. And, and in 1994, uh, we we went, and I was actually at the SBC convention, and this church asked me what uh, I sent them a video of a message back then, you know, the old VCR, remember, remember that? Some of the younger folks are saying, what, duh, what? And anyway, and I sent them a VCR and I sent them a message of where I just preached on hell because I didn't want to, I didn't want to go anywhere else. And I said to my wife, and my wife said, well, they won't, they won't invite you. They won't talk to you anymore if you give them that message on hell. And so, I, but they did. And so we left the SBC and went down to this ugliest mustard yellow colored church that looked hideous and uh, and we went and met with a uh, search committee and, and we left that night and we got in the car my wife said God's up to something we're going to have to pray about this and, and we did and God led us down there and we went to a church that was a a dying church that uh, that had primarily elderly folks and primarily homogenous, one color in a community that is multi-ethnic. And we went to that church and God had to perform a miracle there because I could not do it. And we began to focus on why do we gather together? We come together not to be the local VFW. We come to worship the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we began to do that, the Spirit of God began to work. And God began to do what no man can do, save folks and revive folks and rebuild his church. In your, in your 74th year, maybe it's time to say, when we gather together, are we really here to hear from God and to worship the Lord on Sundays? Are you with me so far? Say yes. That's real weak, but I'll take it. And I want you to know something else about the upward, onward, upward, outward, onward church. They were the gifted church. No church can function with one person. It takes many different people. Look with me in verse, uh, go back to verse one again. Notice the giftedness in that church. He says they were, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, Barnabas, no doubt had the gift of encouragement. 
And when I talk about the giftedness, let me just point out kind of how gifted this church was. Makes you jealous to want to see God duplicate that again. They, they, were, they were a gifted church in that they were multi-spirit gifted. Uh, no, 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 no church, uh, the pastor or staff can do everything. No church, the deacons can do everything. It takes men and women with all different facets of giftedness and abilities and talents to build a great work for God, for the glory of God. There's further in verse one about their giftedness. They were not only multi-spirit gifted, they were multi-generational. That's God's plan that the church is a church where there's young babies being dedicated on Sunday morning, but there's grandparents to stand with them. God's plan is a multi-generational church that reflects the flavor and the grace of Almighty God. That's the onward, outward, upward church and the church God bless. And there's something else about their giftedness in verse one. They were multi-cultural. They weren't just one color. One of the things I saw God do in our church at PSL is that over the years, and we did a survey like about four years ago, and we were 26 different nationalities and cultures and callers that met on our campus on Sunday morning. And I used to say to our church, we're a little bit of a flavor of what heaven's going to be like. That church was multicultural. Look, look in verse, verse, uh, in verse one. Verse one says, Simeon called Niger and, and, uh, and, and Niger in Latin means black. And he was, he probably came from somewhere one of the African nations. Lucius is a man that is believed to have been from Libya. The church at Antioch was not just Jewish one color like Jerusalem was used to. They were multicultural when they gathered together. They were white, they were black, they were Hispanic. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the world around us. By the grace of God, we need to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something else about the giftedness of that church. They not only were multicultural, they were multi-influential. It says in this verse that, that Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod. Now, now the church, the church in the book of Acts was not the bastion of a political party. They weren't the bastion for the Republican Party, Democratic Party, or, or any other party. But they had in the church those who had been saved that used their influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God wants us to reach everyone, the down and out and the up and out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things I've, I've learned down in South Florida is that you, you got a lot of gated communities they're not down and out. They're driving a Tesla and they're driving, you know, a, a BMW and, and uh, they're, they're living high. They're not down and out, but they're up and out. They're as lost as lost can be and they need men and women to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Know something else about, about, the, um, about the, the upward, outward, Onward church. Not only is it the gifted church, but look at me in verse two, it was the guided church. 
the guided church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I I don't want us to skip that. The Holy Spirit said, I think one of the reasons the church of Jerusalem was so mightily used of God and the church at Antioch and, and the church at Ephesus mightily used of God, they were led by the Lord. What I mean, that, that they were the guided church. They were guided by the scriptures of God. I mean, you got a pastor that loves God's word and teaches and preaches God's word. God speaks to us through the scriptures of God and we must be guided by the anchor of God's word. No matter how unpopular it may make us in this gender-bending world around us, we gotta have a gracious, loving spirit, but we gotta be guided by the word of God. Can I get an amen there? Not only were they guided by the scriptures of God, they were guided by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit spoke to them. And, but I want, I want to just point out something else. They were guided by the seasons of God. Man, I want you to hear what I'm, what I'm trying to share here, if I may, and that I may share it rightly. They were guided by the seasons of God. Jerusalem was where God saved 3,000 on one day. Jerusalem is where many commentators say was a church by Acts chapter 8 that was there was probably about 10 or 12,000 people that gather for worship and separate out in Bible studies and, and groups. It was a mighty force of God, but it was primarily Jewish. And then under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God shakes up the apostle Peter. I, I want you to go down to a house of the Gentiles, a Cornelius man. And Peter has this argument with God. You know, I've been a Baptist all my life and this guy's a heathen and an infidel and a Jew, not a Jew. And you wanted me to go down there. But God spoke to his heart and he was willing to be guided, guided by the spirit rather than his preferences. And he left there and he went down there and he shared the gospel to his amazement. That old Gentile comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. God expands the church. And then, and then, and then God's not through God. God does something supernatural. And, and that is in the midst between the Jew and the Gentile, he sends him down to the Samaritans. You know who the Samaritans were? They were half-breeds. I mean, that's how the Jews looked to them. They were, they were a mixture of Jew and Gentile. And uh, if, if, uh, if the Jews hated the Samaritans, the Gentiles hated them more because they were the half-breeds and, and they looked down on them. In other, in other words, define the race in your community. I don't know what it is. Define the race and the culture in your community that white and black and Hispanic look down on. Those are the ones the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go to them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, you know, okay, They were the guided church. And then all of a sudden, God forms this church in Antioch. In fact, a little bit later in the book of Acts, Jerusalem would get a little bit upset that Antioch wasn't doing things the way Jerusalem did. That the worship looked a little different. That the ministry looked a little different. And they had to have a council and come together and resolve some issues by the grace of God. But what I want you to see is they were, they were the guided church. They were the guided church. 
guided by the scriptures of God, guided by the spirit of God, but guided by the seasons of God. I want you to hear me well what I'm about to say. God's word never changes, correct? God never changes. I, I am the Lord your God. Uh, you know, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But the way God works in the world, in the world, in his redemptive plan, changes in seasons. And uh, man, all you gotta do is you just gotta look at it. Uh, what God did in Jerusalem, he did different in Antioch. What he did in Antioch, he did different in Ephesus. What he did in Ephesus, he did different in Corinth. Corinth, man, was like, it was like, it wasn't the Bible Belt, son. I mean, you're out in the midst of nowhere. And we gotta be willing to say, okay, in the seasons of life, we don't change the gospel, we don't change the word of God, but maybe we need to change the way we're reaching this culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One last thing about, about the, the upward, onward, outward, upward, um, uh, Outward, onward church is they were what I call the gutsy church, man. I don't, I don't know any other way to put it, gutsy. Look at verse three. The Holy Spirit said in verse two, you know, um, separate, uh, you know, Barnabas, spirit of encouragement, and Saul, separate them and, um, uh, you know, for the work I have for them. And they're like, okay, good God, what are you doing? Verse three, and after fasting and praying, they, the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. That was, that was a gutsy move. Never been done before. It was a gutsy move. Never been done before. It was gutsy because they were sending out not their worst, but their best to go do the work of God. It'd been easy to say, no, 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 Lord, you're not, you're not sending out somebody like, like Saul who can speak five languages fluently. You're not sending out Barnabas. He's the glue that holds us together. And God said, yeah, 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 I am. And in a gutsy move, they prayed over them and they said, okay, God, this is what you're doing. Here's what I mean by gutsy. They were gutsy enough to change. Are we? They were gutsy enough to do something they had never done before. Never done before. And they were, they were gutsy enough to do what needed to be done without delay. I mean, man, we, we, we got a former comedian study it. And the Holy Spirit said, this is what we want you to do. And they did it. I believe with all, I don't believe, I don't believe your best days are behind you at Southside Baptist Church. I don't believe your best days are, are behind us, even as a nation. I think we gotta say, God, what are you saying and how do you want to use us in this time in which we live? Um, man, after the last election, and uh, someone asked me one time, well, which one do you like running for president? Our last election, I said, honestly, Neither one. I don't like either one of them. And, and, but after the, the last election, you had those who were happy and those who were mad. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And, uh, and I'm not getting into politics, but you had those who were mad. And I remember one of, the, one of the church members said to me, you know, said, this is the worst day 
uh, Republicans vote out as president. And I said, can I just remind you that Jesus does not ride a donkey or an elephant? That it don't matter who's in the White House as long as he's on the throne. I don't believe our worst, our best days are behind us. It may be a time God is saying to us, it's time to turn upward. It's time to turn outward. And it's time to go onward with what God wants to do. A few weeks ago, I was reminded of how God has transformed my life over the last many years. Uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. We didn't go to church at all. I was never raised to go to church. And uh, church the last thing on my mind. I made fun of folks that went to church. And uh, since I've been a pastor, I still do. But anyway, that's another story. But, but I, 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 and, and Alton Cruz shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, shook my world. And I shook my world. I couldn't sleep at night. I didn't know what was going on. And I went to Alton. I said, man, you messed me up. I can't sleep at night telling me about this stuff. And he says, Holy Spirit's convicting you. I had no idea what he's talking about. But through him and the grace of God, I came to know Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And then the years we were at Waycross and pastor there and God blessed and we were comfortable and all of a sudden, God uproots me to a world that's not the Bible built. The further south you go in Florida, the further north you go culturally. And I was in the midst of a people that were primarily Catholic. Now, in Waycross, I could say I was a pastor of Jamestown Baptist Church, and there were people that gave you respect. Uh, I soon learned I was better off to say I was a car salesman, you know, in South Florida. But I was reminded a while ago how God has changed my life. I'm working outside just like two months ago. Working outside in my house on a hot day. And uh, I have good neighbors, but there is, they don't know Jesus. They're, they're not, they're not, they don't just know, don't know Jesus. They're far, far from God. I love it. I mean, they're, they're wonderful people. But, and I've been trying to witness to them and over the years. And, and on my street, as far as I know, there's, there's an African-American couple that's like the grandmother and grandfather of my children in South Florida. And they are believers. And on the rest of the street, I don't know of anyone else except maybe one other guy that are truly believers of Jesus Christ. But I've been trying to witness to them. So it's a hot day. I was outside working. I was about done. I mean, I was, I was about done physically getting stuff done. I was about done, period. And so I'm putting my tools up. My neighbor across the road walks to my neighbor beside me. And, uh, and, and his name is Rick. And Rick says to me, he's carrying a six-pack of beer. And he said, uh, he said, Brian, he said, man, I'd offer you a beer, uh, but I've never, seen, I've never seen you drink. And uh, that day I was almost like, I'll take it. But anyway, just kidding, not serious. And, and he said, I, I'd offer you a beer, but I've never seen you drink one. I said, would you like to know why? And he said, uh, he was going in the garage, he backed up, he said, what? I said, would you like to know why you've never seen me drink a beer? And he said, 
you know, actually I would. And I said, uh, well, Rick, I said, I come from a family of alcoholics and drug addicts. I said, now there may be some that can drink a glass of wine or have a beer that are, that, that it don't bother them. I said, I'm not that guy. And I said, I was on that road. And I said, and, um, and I realized I was going the same road as, as a lot of my family members. I said, I've, I've attended the funeral of way too many family members that are drug addicts and alcoholics. Died way too young. Aunts and uncles, cousins. I said, my family's, I said, in my family, when we said they were away at college, that meant they were in the penitentiary. <laughs> you know, and uh, where are they at? I hadn't seen them. Like, oh, they're, they're away in college. And I said, that's my background. And I says, and, and I stood before a judge who said to me, this better be the last time I see you because next time we're going to send you off. And I said, I didn't know what I need, but I knew I was on the wrong road. And I knew I had to change. I says, and I made a decision that I was going to stop cold turkey drinking. We're going to go to any pop parties. That was, I wasn't going to do that anymore. And, uh, and, and, and I said, I'm not judging you because you're having a beer. I'm just telling you, I can't do it. And he said, he teared up. Man, this is a hardened guy. He's done time in prison. He teared up and he said, man, I respect that. And I said, but Rick, I'm gonna tell you something. Someone told me early on in those days, they said, AA can get you sober, but only Jesus can keep you sober. And I says, and I turned my life over to Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Now you may say, why would you tell that story? Because it is a reminder to me to how God has changed my whole outlook about how you reach people with the gospel of Christ. That, that you, sometimes you gotta be vulnerable. Sometimes you gotta share your story. Sometimes you gotta enter into their heartache. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta get down where they're at because inviting them to church is sometimes is not gonna do it. You gotta invite them to something better. Our best days are not behind us. Our best days are ahead of us if we're gonna look upward, outward, and onward by the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just pray as Pastor D comes and you speak to our hearts. I don't know what you may be doing in my life and in the lives of these people here today, how you're challenging someone. There may be someone here today, Lord Jesus, that doesn't know you. And uh, maybe even the story I shared just a moment ago speaks to them and they identify with that. And they may be wondering, can, can, can God forgive me? Can God change me? Lord, let them know how much you love them today. And, and that if they're ready, that they might just cry out to you and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You can tell him in your own words. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Just ask him in your own words. Jesus, just tell him, Jesus, I've made a lot of bad decisions and mistakes because we all have. And just say, Lord, I turn to you the best I know how. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come in my heart and life as my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for someone that may cry out to you right now and may even share that with Pastor Deke or someone else. And, you know, I call on the Lord today. But Father, I just pray for this good church. I pray for this pastor. 
Pastor Deacon, I ask you to and anoint him, empower him, use him as he leads forward. And, and I pray for deacons and teachers and leaders and people who do what they do for the glory of God here in this church, that you just challenge their hearts and move their spirit to say, God wants to do something and we want to join God in his work. Lord, it's all for your glory. It's not for our glory. It's all for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor. Amen. Thank you, Brother Brian. Church family, why don't you stand?